time to hate watch with us. So we're coming in hot today. We're coming in real hot. This week, we have prepped for you a discussion about board game movie adaptations. So these are... (laughs) It just makes me so happy. (laughs) Because it's so bad. Um, These are movies that are based on some best-selling board games that you probably played in your childhood. And... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them and and what happened to us as we watched them, guys. This genre is just a wealth of hate watch material. It like it, I had a, a similar it realization to this genre as I did with American Girl doll movies, and then um, from there I went down the rabbit hole and found a lot of movies based on toys more broadly. But the realization is like. A lot of money has been thrown at this very, very niche genre. So much money. I'm, I just had no idea that this was a thing that there was an appetite for. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that there is an appetite, <laughs> which is the problem. And yet here we are, my good friend. Here we are. <laughs> um, so we're doing this one BYOB style, a BYOB to remind you in our hate watch world is uh, we each bring something to the party. Um, so for this week, I watched the original board game movie adaptation, the first in the world, which was the 1985 classic Clue. (laughs) In preparation for picking out a movie to watch for this, I watched the trailer for Clue, and I'm so excited about this conversation. Oh my god, I didn't watch the trailer. It's real fun. Wow, I missed an opportunity. I'll go back and watch it after we record. <laughs> um, what what do you bring into the party, my friend? Not my feelings on the trailer, my discussion topic, correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, I didn't have thoughts prepared about the trailer. Um, I watched the 2012 Six Razzie nominee wow. Battleship. That's a lot of nominations. For... Bad filmmaking. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. Clue and Battleship. You want to clue us in about I'll clue? clue you in. <laughs> so let me set the stage. This movie was made in 1985. It was the first movie made or based on a board game. And in doing some of the background on this, I learned that when the studio decided to make it, they shopped it to six writers before they landed on whoever the ultimate writer was, which I should know. And he almost backed out like three different times because he found writing a script using nothing but a board game to be so challenging that he like didn't even know what to do with himself. Um, this film has a 62% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which wow. is... One of the lower ones I've seen, Rotten Tomatoes, tends to be pretty generous. I mean, I think it's more just polarizing, so the fact that you're something <laughs> in the middle is interesting. That's true. That's true. And uh, it it also did not escape my notice that between 2012 and 2015, there was somewhat, all things relative, of a flurry of think piece writing about this movie. Some of that original... Or- corresponds with the release date of Battleship, um, like revisiting Battleship's roots, I suppose. But mostly, I think 
uh, this film at some point in time had uh, reached cult status. <laughs> I think also there was a, um, with Battleship, it was part of like a package of Hasbro games. Yep. And after Battleship, they were all dropped like instantly. So I think that was probably part of the Think Piece conversation yep. as well. Well, there was also some, like, hipster shit that happened. Like, there's an artist, again, whose name I didn't write down, but they have done galleries for TV shows. Um, and so they did one for, like, Arrested Development. Um, and, like, they did – there's some other big one they did one for, whatever. So they spontaneously did this gallery a year or two ago for Clue, where they had a bunch of Clue-inspired art. And so there was a think piece about that and whatever. So all of that said, let me now read to you the three-sentence description from the studio. Ooh, baby. (laughs) Because I think this really does a lot to set the stage. Meet all the notorious suspects and discover all their foul playthings. You'll love their (laughs) dastardly doings as the bodies and the laughs pile up before your eyes, featuring all three surprise endings. No! (laughs) No! (laughs) I just, I love it so much. Wait, is it choose your own adventure style? So what they did, um, and this is actually like, as a scholar, somewhat interesting. So what they did, and... The writers, the director, and the studio all think they were the first to do it. I can't confirm. They made three different endings and then packaged them separately and sent different ones to different theaters. That's amazing. Some theaters had all three endings. Some theaters only had one or two endings um, and could choose to show the endings at different times. And the studio wanted to do that as a ploy to get people to come back and see the movie in theaters several times. The director really didn't want to do that because it, you know, is structurally obnoxious and he had some doubts about it. And as it turns out, like this movie was a notorious flop. It only made 16 million in the box office and it was an $8 million movie. So like it was a fucking disaster in the box office, (laughs) Um, even for 1985. But what they think happened was that the fact that, like, you didn't know what ending you were going to get and different people were getting different endings was, like, really off-putting to people. And the point that the director made was, like, people don't like it when the storytellers cannot decide what the ending is. Like, people don't like indecision in their narrative. So when it left theaters, they put all three endings together, and it's actually, like, really fucking clever. And he, in retrospect, wishes that that's how they had packaged it for theaters because I think, like... The packaging all three endings together better fits his intent in making it. So Mm -hmm. it, like, brings it all home better. But it's... We'll get into it, um, because I think, like, it it brings up a lot of really interesting questions in the storytelling itself, and it's, like, a wild fucking adventure. So one other thing I want to say to set the stage about this film before I get into it, I was reading a 2012 review of it, and... (laughs) The line that stuck out to me is that this film is a sex farce that's also an allegory for the McCarthy era. Wow. (laughs) Okay, all right. Coming in hot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. So this movie is about an hour and a half long. 
uh, slightly over. And when when I was watching it, I texted Kelsey somewhere in the first hour. No, it was probably in the first 40 minutes and just said, I hate this. I don't even hate watch it. I just hate it. <laughs> um, so basically, the overall premise um, is that these different people are invited to a dinner party by a mysterious letter. It's set in 1954. And my favorite part of the opening is as they're panning through this establishing shot of the mansion where the dinner party is to be held, the title screen comes up and just says, New England, 1954. (laughs) (laughs) Like, set in all of New England. All of New England. All of New England. So these people, these six people, um, who are all the game pieces of the original board game, so Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, Miss White, Professor Plum, Mr. Green, I'm missing someone, um, anyway, are invited to Mr. Body's mansion. Mr. Body, as you may remember from the game, is the person who is murdered, and you have to solve the mystery of his murder. So they're all invited by letter to Mr. Body's mansion. When they arrive, they're given pseudonyms, which are the names of the colors, which the director said his biggest challenge was trying to figure out, like, why a bunch of people would be at a party with color names. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how they solved it. It was their alias for the night. And you find out that Mr. Body has been blackmailing all of these people and that all of these people are... um, highly interconnected people in D.C. So they either have high-power government jobs or are engaging in some other dastardly activities that require covering up. And so they've been paying this guy, Mr. Body, um, a blackmail because he knows all of their secrets. And now Mr. Body is, has gathered them all in this mansion. So they come for the dinner party. This is all eventually teased out in the first 40 minutes. Takes 40 minutes to get there. But it's teased out that that this is what's happening. The first 10 minutes of it, as everybody's arriving to the mansion, there is a long series of dog poop jokes. Oh. (laughs) So the butler first arrives and steps in dog poop, and then everybody else can smell the dog poop on him, so they keep checking his shoes. And I wrote, like, at exactly what point will we learn the significance of the dog poop? (laughs) Bit did you trivia. ever learn its significance? I did. Bit of trivia. There, um, legend holds that there is a fourth ending that was potentially filmed, though it's never been confirmed if it was filmed or not, but it was most likely written that, long story short, involves all six characters getting mauled by the dogs on the property, and and it's like a callback to the dog whose poop he steps in. So well, how much, like, lore there is about this weird movie. <laughs> it's so funny. So, um, so basically, like, you learn, like, Mr. Green is gay, which I was like, really, I know it was 1984, but that's still the best you can do. So that's why he was blackmailing. And then Miss Scarlet, who, in my notes, I refer to as the sexy sex character, owns she a She was brothel. always a sexy sex character, even in the game. Yeah, that's the weird part is she was hypersexualized as a game piece. But like, so they go to show <laughs> the scene where she is getting- <laughs> It's not a sentence you hear every day. <laughs> Um, so they go to show her on her way to the mansion and the establishing shot is just like this dark dirt road with a car pulled over on the side and the hood up and then like 
the sexy sex lady bent over the hood of the car doing like sexy sex poses. And so, uh, (laughs) and so I wrote sexy sex character bent sexily over the hood of her sexy car only to be picked up by not sexy character who turns out to be Mr. or Professor Plum. Yeah, he's not sexy. No, he's not sexy. So Colonel Mustard was a war profiteer when he was in the military. Professor Plum did something with the Department of Defense. Mr. Green, who's gay, works for the UN. Uh, Miss Scarlet owns a brothel. Of course she does. Obviously. Miss White, um, like, killed all of her husbands, I guess. And, um, oh, Miss Peacock. That was the other one I was missing. Oh, yeah. The blue one. Yeah. She, her husband did something in nuclear physics and bribery, I guess. I don't know. It's unclear. (laughs) So as they're in the first 40 minutes, as this is coming out, at one point, all the lights turn off and, or first they're each given the murder weapons. So each of the game pieces, basically, which are the lead pipe, the rope, the gun, a candlestick, a knife, missing something. So they're each given one of these and then the lights go off. And then, like, you hear several clunks, and then you hear a gunshot, and then you hear a scream, and then the lights turn back on, and Mr. Body is dead. Or who you're told at the beginning is Mr. Body, is laying on the floor dead. Yeah. And thus commences the rest of the hour and a half movie. So that was the first 40 minutes. Everything I just said. (laughs) 40 minutes. That's a lot. An hour and a half. Keep that in your brain. So from there... A series of other murders follow. So the cook is killed with the knife. The maid is killed with the rope. Uh, There's a singing telegram that arrives who's killed with the gun. And so they're all like running around this mansion doing the whodunit part. And these other murders are happening all around. And so like there's all this infighting and blah, blah, blah. And then you get to the last 30 minutes And Kelsey, let me fucking tell you, (laughs) I, so I sent that text about how much I hated that movie or this movie. I am taking pacing checks throughout the entire movie as different people are getting murdered. Different quotes are happening. Different stupid things are happening. And then I wrote the quote very well. I know who did it, which is from the butler and he is about to embark on explaining the murder. So I wrote the quote very well. I know who did it. 30 minutes left. I will need to take you through the evening step by step. 30 <laughs> minutes left. And from there, from there, I began a count of every room that they run to for the rest of the movie. And I shit you not, that last quote, I need to take you through the evening step by step. He wasn't fucking kidding. He then proceeds to backtrack the entire movie. So as I'm going through my count, it's like (laughs) second room, third room, fourth room, 30 minutes left, fifth room, sixth room, 27 minutes left. Like, (laughs) for the next 30 minutes. (laughs) Like, the pacing. It's like, it was so unbelievable like the whole thing is sort of like fast dialogue like fast quippy like funny talk but it's it's not fast in terms of plot because there is no plot but then like the last 30 minutes is non-stop fucking action like that line in the description about the laughs piling up 
they weren't kidding. <laughs> so by by the end of my count, they had run into 24 rooms, and that's not including the other two surprise endings. Oh, God. <laughs> In a half hour. I'm just, like, trying to process building 24 set pieces. <laughs> well, so it's not different rooms. That's, like, counting how many times they run back and forth. Okay. Rooms. Okay. But other piece of trivia, the set that they built cost a million dollars out of their $8 million budget. Which, like, for sets in 1985, which were all basic sets on sound stages, was, like, a lot of money. And they they basically did replicate the board game. So, like, when he was working with the set designers, they had, like, the board out and were building the blueprints around the board with the secret passageways and everything. Yeah. So in that sense, it was, like, a very complex set piece. But this is just them running from room to room. <laughs> and so they try throughout the whole movie to do this, like, ensemble cast thing where the butler and then the six game pieces, like, run around together. And as one of the one of the people who did a review wrote, it basically just means they say a lot of lines in unison. It's so fun. <laughs> it's, like, slapsticky to death. It is, it, like... They do a lot of, like, funny runs across the screen with the camera behind the door frame, so you see them do the funny run. And then at one point, two characters are locked in a room, and they're pounding on the door saying, let us out. And then all the other characters on the other side of the door pounding on it saying, let us in. There's, like, a (laughs) lot. It's, like, just this side of Monty Python. (laughs) I'm here for that. (laughs) Wow. In this last 30 seconds, they go through, they rehash the entire plot, everything that happened. It was exactly like the end of an episode of Scooby-Doo. And then they go through the three separate endings. So each of the three endings um, suggests uh, a different conspiracy. So in the first ending, Miss Scarlet is the murderer. And she was killing all of these accomplices. Well, so first the maid killed a bunch of people. And then... Once the maid did her dirty work, Miss Scarlet came in and killed the maid. And she was actually working as a spy for a foreign government, to which I wrote a story for these, our modern times. <laughs> and she was going to try to um, to convince everybody in the room to continue paying her blackmail because uh, she needed more high power government secrets. Okay. And oh, so the other part is before all of the secret endings... Um, One of the running jokes is that all these different people keep coming to the house. So, like, a guy comes to use the phone because his car is broken, and then a police officer comes um, to use the phone because he saw the broken-down car. And then J. Edgar Hoover calls at one point, and everyone's like, J. Edgar Hoover? So this guy comes and knocks on the door and has, like, this jesus poster and tries to like say some gobbledygook about like the kingdom of heaven and so everyone like kicks him out the door but then surprise he was sent by j edgar hoover with the fbi to arrest the conspirator Mm. and someone in the room was in on it the whole time Um, and so in that scenario i think it was the butler who was working with the fbi okay and so then the FBI, like, busts in to triumphant music, and they cart Miss Scarlet away. And that title card said, like, this is what could have happened. And then the second title card said um, something like, uh, 
Like, this is another thing that could have happened. It was funnier than that, though. So in that scenario, it was Miss Peacock who killed everybody. And I don't remember why. But then she gets busted by the FBI. Um, She, like, tries to flee the house and the Kingdom of Heaven guy is out there and he busts her. And then in the third scenario, all of them killed somebody for different reasons, mostly infighting. And wow. Yeah. And the only one who didn't kill anybody was Mr. Green, but it was all orchestrated by the butler because the butler wanted them all to kill everybody because then he because he was Mr. Body all along and wanted them to be indebted to him for more blackmail. But then it turns out that the reason Mr. Green didn't murder anybody is because he works for the FBI. Oh, shit. So he leaps up and shoots Mr. Body, and then the FBI comes charging into triumphant music. So throughout all three of these endings, there's always a line that was like, that says, oh, communism, it's just a red herring. (laughs) Every single one. No. It's so good. And they sneak it in there. So the first time I was like, what? And then the second time I was like, wait. And then the third time in my notes, it literally just says in all caps with like a thousand letters, red herring. <laughs> so so as, as this communism is just a red herring conversation is going on between Mr. Green and Mr. Body. Mr. Body says, are you a cop? And he goes, no, I'm a plant. And then he shoots him. And then as he's about to walk out the door, he turns back around to the cast and he goes, <laughs> or no, to the FBI investigator, he goes, if you want to know who killed Mr. Body, I did in the hallway with a revolver. Now I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. And it comes oh, no! to credits. Yeah, it was really, really good. Wow. <laughs> so that's Clue. That is Clue. <laughs> um, another really great line is from the second ending when Miss Peacock, like, flees the house and the Kingdom of Heaven guy from the FBI is outside. He sees her run by and he goes, oh, Miss Peacock. And she says, how do you know my name? And he goes, the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. And then all these cops, like, bust out and arrest her. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, I have a, a set-related question. Yes. Did they match all of the rooms in the original game? So, yeah, there was, there was like, the study, the lounge, the okay. kitchen, like, the dining room, the... I don't remember all the, all the ones. The conservatory? Yeah, the conservatory. And the secret passages were there, too, and the characters, like, run through the secret passages. And the secret passage was required for a couple of the murders. So, yeah, I think, like, I think they did a decent job, a decent job of that. One of my favorite things about this movie is that there's all these, like, very poorly choreographed scenes where, like, people are either slapping each other or punching each other or, like, a dog (laughs) tries to bite someone. And you can, like, you can not only see where it's, where the physical bodies aren't synced so they never would have hit, but then you can see that the two cuts, you know, the cut between the person about to strike and the person being struck, don't match. That's so fun. It's just, it's beautiful. I love that. Oh, the other thing in terms of game mechanics. So in terms of game mechanics, they had each of the weapons, 
And, like, each of the weapons are shown basically as they are in game pieces. So, like, they go to hand over the rope, and it's, like, a little section of rope with tied in a noose. With, yeah. like, just a little bit of leftover rope. Like, you're not going to tie that around anything to actually hang someone. So they had each of the weapons, they had each of the rooms, they had each of the characters, and they kept their their board game character name. They only used the alias for the entirety of the movie. Is this a good time to bring up our evaluation criteria? So we we created essentially a set of criteria to score how these films work as adaptations. Is that fair? Yeah. So the categories are use of game mechanics in movie format, how game premise matches movie premise, duration of gameplay versus duration of movie, use of game pieces or characters, use of game language in movie, and then the world building in the game versus the movie. So we'll rank, we'll give our rankings at the end, but I'm just going to use this to answer some quick questions about the film. Perfect. So basically, in terms of game mechanics, like it has each of the weapons, it has each room, it has each character. And I think it was at minute 40 exactly that someone shouts, we need to figure out who who killed him, where, and with what. <laughs> that was my favorite preview quote you sent me. <laughs> so they even like stuck that stuck that good premise in there. In terms of the movie premise matching the game premise, I would say that like it only happened in the last 30 minutes. So that last 30 minutes that they're just running back and forth through rooms going through step by step is all of the game mechanics of a game of Clue. Right. They're like going through and taking all the information, which would be equivalent to in Clue, like, you know, you go around the board and make guesses about what is in the envelope in the middle and everybody has cards. And so they know like whether or not your guess is right. And so it's by elimination that you figure out what's in the envelope. And so they're basically doing that process in the last 30 minutes. But everything for the hour beforehand is fluff, I guess. Like, And I guess in theory, it's probably akin to, to the beginning of a game where you have to get through those first few turns of like not much happening. Yeah. Before you can start getting information. <laughs> but instead, uh, it's like 40 minutes of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the difference is, at least when you're playing, like, you're playing the game, and so there's pauses, you can get up, you can make jokes, like, you can do whatever. When you're watching a movie, it is not the same form of time killing. It's not. The other thing that really bugged me, and it, I ended up deducting points in pretty much every category afterwards um, because of this, is, like, obviously, structurally, there has to be backstory for each of these characters, Um, Because that's just life. But I really hated the backstory. And like, as much as I get that you have to have a reason for all these characters to be in a room and like for all of them to have motive for murder, I just like didn't care. I just didn't care. (laughs) I don't care that they all live in D.C. I don't care that they have high power government jobs. Right. I know that they were trying to make a point about McCarthyism and like... I am always here for a good allegory of McCarthyism. Except for this one. Except, like, you also could have just, like, like, a much simpler premise would have been murder mystery night gone wrong. Right. So, you know, like, murder mystery dinner parties have always been a thing. Yeah. Like, that could have been the whole premise. It could have. Except someone actually died. Right. I don't know. Um, 
it like it's clever in the uni- in the movie universe only because of the allegory <laughs> and only if you appreciate the humor around it otherwise there's nothing there right and there's no other attempts at character development and like backstory to me only matters if you're going to bother with character development sure so which like if we all take a step back for a second that was never the point of this movie the point of the movie was just to have a live action clue board game (laughs) (laughs) and i can accept that (laughs) i love it i love it (laughs) um duration of gameplay versus duration of movie um i haven't played a game of clue in a very long time i think it's probably around like 45 minutes you guesstimate 45 to an hour yep um, so this movie is a little bit longer than A Game of Clue, and you can feel it, although the last 30 minutes, like, really makes up for it. <laughs> and then, in terms of game language, I think because there was so much of it that was really bloated, like, you really only get the game language in that one line at 40 minutes, we have to figure out who killed him, where, and with what. <laughs> You get it at the very end, the last line of the movie, when he's like, you want to know who killed Mr. Body? I did, in the hallway, with the revolver. Like, those are just fucking beautiful bookends. To they this are. Whole thing. Like, good job. Fucking props to that. But also, in general, like, they have the props in the rooms and the names of the characters, so it's all game language that I would include. It's true. It's, like, pretty infused. Um, I think, though, there was, like, so much bloat that some of that stuff gets lost. So, like... There's all these extras that are getting killed all the time, like the maid and the cook and whatever. Yeah. And every single weapon gets used in a murder. And I guess in terms of game mechanics, it's the same logic, just opposite execution as Clue. Because in Clue, the idea is you're finding out that these things weren't used in the murder. Right. To deduce what was used in the murder. And this is the opposite. It's like everything's used in the murder. You just have to figure out who had it when. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't my favorite, but whatever. <laughs> this wasn't your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> um, and then in terms of world building in the game versus the movie, I think I probably had a slightly better game for this than you did. Because I think like, you know, there's it's not like playing Dungeons and Dragons where there is like a whole universe, like clues pretty cut and dry. But at least like there's multiple people in a house and there's a murder. Like, that that's decent depth yeah. for... for uh, premise and then as i've already said the movie like really blew that out of proportion i think but it's fine (laughs) wow i'm just really glad that you watched this movie me too i so i think i already said this in some form but i just want to like really reiterate like i hated it so much and then we get to that last 30 minutes like (laughs) to the moment where i timestamp 30 minutes left and like by the time we got to that last line, I was over the fucking moon. Like, <laughs> and it it completely changed how I feel about the rest of the film. Like, I actually, this is like the nerd in me that can't be stopped. I want to go back and watch it again because the whole time I they were going through the last three endings, I was trying to figure out how three different endings, like three different solutions were possible given the rest of the movie. So I want to go back and structurally watch like how they 
how the blocking worked for actors and like who was in what room when to make each of those three endings possible. Wow. Like if you go into it strategically, yeah. there's a fuckload of work that went into making this movie somewhat possible. And other bit of trivia, the director had only done a short film um, before doing this. And so like he he hired a pretty experienced cinematographer because he like couldn't even conceptualize for himself like how to do basic shots so that the characters would be looking the right way from one cut to another. <laughs> so you take that level of expertise and then you add to it the level of strategy that the script required. Yeah. To actually make the endings plausible. I want to explore that a little bit more. Um <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of work. That said, I'm it's not underappreciated. I don't know that I would watch this movie again without a drinking game. And I did structure a drinking game. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I only have a few resume-worthy skills. I really got to maximize them. So uh, overall, overall, terrible movie, fantastic movie. Great hate watch. Great hate watch. Like, really... I just love it. I like I feel like warm inside because of the <laughs> stupid ridiculous movie. Oh, oh, costuming man. though, re our last episode almost entirely sourced from LA thrift stores. <laughs> Especially Miss Scarlet's green dress, without a doubt. Oh god. One thing that drove me crazy just as like a continuity issue is there was like there's no cohesion from the wardrobe department. They didn't care what the fuck they were putting on these people. And so it's set in 1954 and Miss Scarlet is wearing this like skin tight ruched forest green mini dress with giant puffy off the shoulder <laughs> straps and like the it has like a sweetheart top that is so low that I cannot believe I never saw a nip slip. <laughs> I was waiting for it. That alone is just, just so special. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm going to turn it over to you and Battleship. I'm really looking forward to getting to our rankings at the end to see how, like, these two things hold up. Me too. And I'm like, I hadn't thought about it until getting deep into the weeds on on this movie, but, like, I have a little bit of understanding, even before watching the movie, of how they could have built a movie universe out of Clue because they give you people and a place at least. Sure. Understanding Battleship as well as I do, I am so excited to hear how they pulled this feat off. And I was so excited to watch this movie. <laughs> the For only that thing, same reason. The only thing I know about this movie is that there are aliens involved. Yeah, there are. So hit me. Alright, so this movie is based on the 1967 Battleship game. Um... <laughs> Which, if for some reason you live in a place that doesn't play Battleship. That's <laughs> diplomatic of you. Um, Battleship is a two-player guessing game where you place a series of ships, like battleships and destroyers and carriers, on a grid. And you have to guess the coordinates of your opponent's ships. And you try to sync them all. So your actions are basically like you call out a coordinate and they say either hit... If you matched one of theirs, miss if you missed, or you sunk my battleship if you have hit all of the targets on that battleship. And that's literally the entire gameplay. 
That's it. There's nothing else. Right. So, let's compare and contrast that with the one sentence that Wikipedia provides as the (laughs) premise to this film. Oh, boy. An American military science fiction action film about a first encounter with aliens in a naval conflict context. (laughs) (laughs) Is it also the first statue of George Washington on horseback? In fact, it is! (laughs) (laughs) In a naval context. Oh my god. Someone was really fucking looking for the honorifics there. Oh yeah, they were. And that's like kind of the tone of this whole movie. (laughs) So, this is a 2012 movie produced by Universal Pictures. Um, I don't know if produced is the right word there. Distributed by Universal Pictures. Um, In partnership with Hasbro, and I believe it was the first of a series, like I said, that was then very quickly dropped because they Mm -hmm. were all so bad. Although Candyland has persisted from this, but was purchased by another studio to become an Adam Sandler film. And let me tell you a thing, if that comes out, we are hate-watching the shit out of it. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, There is an animated Candyland. Right. No, this is a live but action. I Yeah, I'm... I honestly don't think I can think of, like, a more fitting capstone to Adam Sandler's career. Right? I'm... I, I digress. Okay. <laughs> um, so, this film was directed by Peter Berg of Friday Night Lights fame and... Nuh-uh. Unfortunately, of Patriot's Day fame, maybe. Wow. Dude, dude, like, that's a spectrum. So dude peaked with Friday Night Lights and then has done, like, a series of disaster-esque movies <laughs> since then, particularly with Mark Wahlberg. So, wow. like, he's seen some shit. No um, kidding. So, this, uh, the basic premise here is that they do a flashback at the very beginning where NASA discovers a planet similar to Earth, and they try to make contact by building this giant, like, transmission satellite device in Hawaii. Sure. Meanwhile, there's this, like, slacker, going-nowhere type of person um, who has a brother, and this is the main character, who is named Hopper. Hopper. But, importantly... Is played by Taylor Kitsch, aka Tim Riggins, <laughs> and the opening scene is him with the same haircut and the same like l- like dirty appearance, drinking at a bar. So we're gonna call him Tim Riggins for the rest of this movie because it's the same. <laughs> Dude, talk about peaking. Oh, I know it's so sad. Um, <laughs> so Timmy, um, he's going nowhere. He has a brother who's a Navy commander, um, so they're out for his birthday. He decides to impress this blonde at the bar by breaking into a convenience store to get a chicken burrito and gets arrested. (laughs) 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 Worth noting that this action also gets him the girl. Uh, Well, he's a man after my own heart. Sure. Um, so that's the first ten minutes of this movie, and then you get the title credits of Battleship. So far, you have not really seen a ship. So... So that's all just the cold open. Yeah, it is. Um, so then you flash forward probably to, like, five years later, is my guess. Um, and so his brother, the Navy commander, convinces him to join the Navy during this time frame. 
Um, and he is some sort of, like, middle-of-the-road ranking in the Navy, from what I could gather. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in, like, naval exercises that are, like, Model UN <laughs> in the Pacific. Um, and all of a sudden, alien ships attack, oh, like fuck. they do. Um, basically, for the entire duration of this movie, after that, epic battles ensue. Riggins' brother dies. Um, there's friendships made between the, um, other countries who are participating in this model UN gone wrong. Um, (laughs) battleships are hit and sunk. And then as a last resort, once they, all their ships are sunk, they commandeer this old battleship from the Korean War that happens to have real live veterans on it, um, who have been operating it as a museum. And they take that and destroy the aliens using some good old-fashioned trickery. Nice. Um, it's pretty great. Uh, it ends the same as Star Wars A New Hope, but worse. (laughs) So, it's like, I think they pretty much could have laid on the same track. It's like a ceremony because they were so brave and saved (laughs) the world. Um, that's pretty much the movie. Um... Side premises include the girlfriend, um, a veteran who's lost his legs, and a stubborn stubborn scientist um, trapped in Jurassic Park, (laughs) which is not true, but basically the island in Hawaii that they have the, um, the, like, beam that they send communications from um, is, like, the same exact mountain (laughs) that they use in Jurassic World, and they have, like, the same jeeps that they're riding, so it's the same. Um... And the overarching, like, story from start to finish is that Riggins is trying to get permission from his girlfriend's father, who's, like, the, like, big head honcho in the Navy, to marry her. Wow. Um, So at the end, he succeeds because he's earned his respect. Um, Another plot is that Rihanna and Landry are friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Um... They really extrapolated a lot. (laughs) So let me just give you, like, a real quick rundown on who's in this movie. (laughs) Like I started to. um, Taylor Kitsch, obviously. Um, Alexander Skarsgård, who was just in Big Little Lies, who's, like, kind of a big deal, I guess. Liam Neeson, who this seems, like, a little below him, but I don't know. Um, Landry from Friday Night Lights is in this. Because why not? Yeah. Um... He probably, the director probably couldn't get anybody to sign on to this fucking sinking ship. And yes, I know the pun there. And so he just like went back to his Rolodex from Friday Night Lights and was like, help a brother out. Right. Um, Also, like I said, Rihanna. Rihanna. Makes her acting debut in this movie. Her (laughs) acting debut? Yeah. No Um, shit. So when she was on the screen, I said, Rihanna, why? I said, 68% chance she sings in this. And at 38 minutes, Rihanna is singing. Oh my god. Slot <laughs> that in for top 10 singers who sing. It happened. Um, my favorite, 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 favorite gift that Peter Berg gave us in this entire movie is that Purd Hapley is a news anchor in this yes. movie. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Someone wants us to be happy. Oh my god, like, 
there were just so many gifts. And, like, Tim Riggins was the first gift, and then Jesse, and then Purd just, like, threw me over the top in pure hate watch joy. Oh my god, that's so poetic. Ugh. It, it was just really great. Um, so... Another thing worth noting is that this movie is two hours and 11 minutes long. That's too long. It's too long for any movie. It's too long. Especially a movie based on Battleship. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. And, like, it sounds like they did some work to to really build out. Because, like, my, my question is how can you build a game universe... When all you have are, like, coordinates and, like, the desire to build nationalism and, like, love of the military-industrial complex in young children. Like, that alone a premise does not make. Right. So, like, they did work, but why were they doing two hours of work? And 11 minutes. Yeah. Why? Why? And, like, I just... They got, like, a, a, a story about, like, redemption in there and but like like, barely yeah like snuck it right under that radar i mean a lot of time like a lot of time was spent like with like establishing shots (laughs) so and like a ton of lens flare because he really wanted to be jj abrams yep and like which is i guess fair but it was so (laughs) so sad um but there was a lot of like Either just, like, space activity happening that you couldn't really tell what it was, but it was used as, like, the transition between every scene. And it wasn't, like, a 30-second thing. It was, like, three minutes of, like, spaceships moving. (laughs) And then, like, pointing at alien things and making, like, facial reactions and confusion, like, looks at each other. Like, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, like... Before a fight would happen, it would be, like, maybe 20 minutes of the alien ship, like, coming up from the water and, like, (laughs) moving and moving its guns around. Oh, boy. Okay, so that was a question I was going to ask, and it sounds like you've sort of answered it for me, but do the aliens also have battleships, or are they doing it from the air? So the aliens crash land this, like, thing that operates like a large bug, kind of. (laughs) And it, like, sits in the water, um, and it's not, like, if I'm doing an alien movie, like, maybe I don't just make the aliens, like, operating, like, an AT-AT from Star <laughs> Wars. Like, it has a, a window with a dashboard, and they're all right behind it, and they're oh allergic God. to sun. Of course so, they are. <laughs> so if you, like, puncture the dashboard, they die, and they also just look like old people. Like, they didn't really try very hard to make the aliens look like anything besides instead of having, like, a beard, they have spikes. That was going to be my other question, is do you ever see, like, the aliens, like, physical form? Yeah, and they're exactly like humans. Like, they have teeth and everything. The only thing is that they have these spikes on their chin. That's so good. So they really phoned it in on the aliens. (laughs) Um, None of the aliens' weaponry was in the game, which was a little bit upsetting to see. Um, but they had some pretty interesting weapons. They had these, like, bomb things, I guess, that you'd, like, throw, and they'd hit, they'd, like, hit the deck of the ship, and then, 
like, dig into it and then all explode at once. So you'd, like, there was a ton of scenes of them, like, firing through the air as a series and then, like, like, hitting the ship in different places and then confused faces, scared faces, and then explosion, like, a hundred times. <laughs> and then they had this weapon that was, like, a, like, a chainsaw. So it was, like, a wheel that just rolled around and had all these, like, saw pieces on it and would just cut everything down. Mm-hmm. Which was real neat. Um, everything operated, like, all of their gear and weapons operated by reading an object on a screen, basically, and saying if it was, like, not a thread, it was green, and if it was a thread, it was red, and it would destroy it. So they showed that <laughs> maybe a hundred times. <laughs> well, yeah, you gotta get that sonar in there. And, yeah, there was a lot of noise like, high-pitched noises. That was, like, their one other thing that they did that must have been just, like... I kept thinking how terrible it would have been in the theater because it was so loud yeah. and so terrible. I remember hearing that criticism when it was in the theaters. Yeah, it was not great. That's super funny. So, talk to me about the use of coordinates. Because that's literally the only thing the board game brings to the party here. So, I need to tell you about my favorite part in this whole movie. Okay. It, I think it must have been similar to your, like, moment of pure joy at the end. Yeah. Because I was so excited, and I sent you a Snapchat to give you a sneak peek of it. Yeah. So when they think that they... This is before they steal the final, like, old battleship. This is their last new technologically advanced one. Um, so with their friendship with an Asian nation that I can't remember exactly which one it was or if it was ever discussed because there were awkward jokes about it a lot... With an Asian nation, they make friends with one of them. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and they have all these buoys in the water to track uh, tsunamis? Mm hmm Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, Good job. An event, a weather event in the water. <laughs> um, so they have buoys that are conveniently set up in a grid. Um, oh, sure. And trackable on their ship. Right. So this bug thing, kind of alien ship bug, kind of jumps from one buoy to the next. And that's okay. how it moves around for some reason, or it's like near them. So that's how they're able to pinpoint from far away where the bug is. Okay. And then they send a weapon to that coordinate to do damage on the bug. Um, okay. So it looks like a grid. You get to see a lot of, like, the screen um, that they're looking at and seeing which ones are going off. And they say things like, negative, sir, that's a miss, when they don't <laughs> get to it. <laughs> and my favorite one, oh, shit, it's a hit. <laughs> yeah. It's so pure. It was so pure. Um... The it way you're just... describing this, like, alien bug jumping around the grid reminds me of playing this with kids in my childcare program, and their favorite thing to do is to move the ships around throughout the course of the game, and sometimes I will play with them where I will let them do that just because it's, like, 4.30 in the afternoon and I don't give a shit where their battleship is. <laughs> and so, like, we'll be mid-game and the rules will be that we're allowed to move the ships every so often. 
<laughs> and so they'll just be sitting over there with like their five little battleships, like scrambling to put them on different parts of the grid. That's amazing. One time I couldn't hit the kid's battleship, and when he flipped it over so that I could see his grid, he had put it on my grid. Like, he'd put it on the top part so that I couldn't hit it. You're like, that's not... No. (laughs) No. Um, yeah, so that was Battleship. One thing that was a little bit disconcerting in these our modern times was that they used Trump as a metaphor for a bad leadership figure. Oh, no. In 2012. What happened? Um, basically, Tim Riggins was, like, too full of himself and wasn't giving good instruction or direction and also was being a little reckless. And they said, well, who are you, Donald Trump? <laughs> like, I almost want to know if it's a director's cut that was made three months ago. <laughs> no kidding that is like so on the fucking nose like i have to wonder because i know as early as 2012 he was he was teasing that he would run eventually and and that he had his sights set on 2016 and so i wonder like something very specific must have happened right as they were writing the script for that to happen yeah it was interesting (laughs) because like there are plenty of other examples of reckless leadership. Right. I was like, wait, did they just say that? Yeah. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. It's it's been interesting to me in these our modern times <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to uh, suddenly become so aware of the things that feel prophetic. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I can go sort of through our criteria the way you did. Yeah. Um, and talk about a few of the highlights here. Um, so use of game mechanics in movie format. I think that just that one scene alone with the grid uh, <laughs> made it all worthwhile for me. Yeah, um, it sounds like they managed to sneak it in there. They did. Um, at the, Near the end of it, obviously all of their ships get destroyed, but one. So that was sort of part of like the way... It ends up going um, throughout the game. At the end, one of the veterans who are on the boat are like, they ain't gonna sink this battleship. No way. Um, (laughs) Although it's frustrating that it wasn't an equal match. Like, I didn't realize that aliens were involved until very recently. So I assumed it would have been like your basic, like, war movie where it'd be like two fleets. Yeah. I can, now that I'm saying it out loud, I can see why they did not make that choice because then there would have been no way to get around it just being like an exchange of cannons for two hours. (laughs) It wasn't that far off from that though. (laughs) Fair, but at least like, at least you had like an alien bouncing around. Right. Um, so I think with what they had for game mechanics, they were all included. (laughs) I think in terms of the premise matching the game premise, though, it was obviously, speaking of aliens, a little bit far off. Duration, like I said, it is two hours and 11 minutes long. I think a game of Battleship probably takes 30 minutes. And Not even really, that long. Yeah, that's really all I needed out of this movie. I didn't need two hours and 11 minutes. Nope, um, no one ever did. Rihanna <laughs> and her friends... Um, it was just really, it was just so much, so, so much. So extra. Um, 
So extra. So use of game pieces and or characters. Um, there were only battleships and destroyers mentioned by name in this movie. Uh, obviously there are five or six different ships in battleships, so I don't think it would have been out of the question to include them. So that was a little bit sad. Um, How was their fleet management? Like, do the characters, like, talk about the other boats? Or, like, do you see them on the other boats? Or, like, are they managing the other boats? Yeah, so it's all the boats that are participating in Model UN. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they... They all get destroyed except for this one ship that gotcha. they use to do the first grid attack. So are they are they watching, like, on their sonar, the other ships getting hit? They can see them. Like, they're okay. all within visual range for some reason. Yeah, so the aliens blow up all of them except for one. Same with, like, the Air Force gets involved here and there, and all their planes get destroyed by one of those little spinny chainsaw things. Mm-hmm. Um... So they're also kind of there, but not really. It's mainly just naval ships. Uh, But there wasn't... There were, like, two main ships, I guess, that they talked about a lot. And then that third old-ass destroyer that they brought in. (laughs) They did film it on the real destroyer, though. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. Use of game language in the movie. Like I said, there were those really neat lines about hits (laughs) and sinking. There weren't as many as I wanted, and... There wasn't anyone who said they sunk that battleship or you sunk that battleship, which was really, like, the biggest disappointment in this whole movie. Yeah, there's no point. Right? And world building in the game versus the movie, obviously there were some serious differences there. (laughs) In the sense that there is no world in the game? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they were in the water on boats, so that part was accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I am... I am frankly quite floored by uh by how much world building they chose to get into because there's no mandate for that much plot yeah and some of it was like not necessary like nothing on the island was necessary with the like stubborn scientist which i think is definitely a trope in these types of movies at this point as well as someone saying i've got a bad feeling about this which they did there yeah that whole that whole section wasn't necessary. Really, his, like, girlfriend as a whole wasn't a necessary person. No. Um, and, she like, wasn't, a marriage she, plot, like... Yeah, and she wasn't Tyra, but she looked like Tyra, which made it worse. <laughs> she did say the line, he said, what's your name? And she said, I'm hungry, which I wrote <laughs> relatable. <laughs> Is that right before he got arrested for stealing a chicken burrito? Yeah, it was. That's my OTP right there. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> If you can put up with the two hours and 11 minutes of watching it, there's some nuggets that are just so bad they're good, but it is a long time. I had to break it up into two nights because I literally couldn't deal with it What in one sitting. What is your read on its potential as a cult classic? Like, do you think it will age into having cult status? I don't think so. Interesting. Although I think people would have said that of Clue at the time. I mean, Clue has sort of all of the, all the trappings of a cult classic. Like it's slapsticky and it's ridiculous. And it, on the surface, it's really stupid. But if you take time to notice the details, it's less so. This one took itself very, very seriously. Mm. And I think that's its downfall. Yep. And I'm also not entirely sure like what the demo was for this movie. (laughs) And I I think they got a... (sighs) 
It must have been a PG-13 rating. Um, yeah. Because they tried really hard not to say fuck, like, seven times. Oh and they'd God. be like, mother! And then they'd cut to an explosion. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know who the demo is for Battleship, but I don't know if it's, like, teenage boys. For the movie? Yeah. Like, maybe that's right, but I feel like you could have made something a little more, like, dumb and playful, and it could have been more of, like, a family movie and less yeah. of a, like, adult serious time action movie. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting for Clue because it's rated PG, and... That shit is not PG. It was definitely not PG. There is a scene where the first police officer comes to check on the guy whose car broke down, and at this point, there's three dead bodies in the mansion, and they couldn't not let him in, so they're trying to figure out how to keep him from discovering that they are dead bodies. So they tell him that they're having a party, and he starts looking around the house, and so, like, in a very Weekend at Bernie style, they they all, like, take a different dead body and then make it look like it's a sex party. <laughs> so... So there's one person laying on a couch with the, the one of the women is laying on the couch with a dead man on top of her and she's making it look like they're making out. And then uh, there's a man with the dead cook and they're standing in front of the window and um, Mrs. Peacock is behind them holding up the dead body and putting her hands on the guy's back. So it looks like they're making out. Wow. So it's definitely not PG. <laughs> No. <laughs> and it's funny because I read a couple of the reviews that came out in 1985 and and they were like completely ripping the studio to shreds for not only doing it as PG, but then like also making it so inappropriate because the target demographic for the game is like younger people right. slash families. So that's really interesting. <laughs> Should we rank? Yeah, rank them up. All right, so for use of game mechanics, we're gonna we're gonna do everything with a one to five, five being the best, one being the worst scale. And the the ultimate goal of uh, using a numerical scale is to establish which one is a better adaptation. Right. It's really about like pureness of adaptation. <laughs> um. So use of for use of game mechanics, I'm gonna give it a four. Mm-hmm. Because I think it did check off all the boxes, limited as they may be. For how game premise matches movie, I'm going to give it a two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are on battleships. They do shoot at other things. It's just <laughs> with aliens, so... <laughs> you know, they tried. Um, duration of game versus movie. I'm giving that a one. Yep. Because it was so damn long and the game is so short. Yep. Um, use of game pieces. Um, I'm giving it a two. There were <laughs> really? two ships. There were two ships. Fair enough. I just don't... I would have liked to see all of them. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess if they weren't showing... Like, I was expecting them to show all the hits and misses on the sonar so that you would, like, be able to see, like, the white and red pieces in play. But if they only showed you the ships getting blown up, like, on the horizon, then that's kind of lame. Yeah, you only saw the sonar for that one scene. Yeah. It Which is funny, because they made a big deal of the sonar and the promotional materials. Yeah. <laughs> they did. <laughs> for use of game language, I think I would... Also give it a two. Really? Maybe a three. It was there. Yeah. 
It just, I mean, there's not a lot of material, so that's tough, but I really was upset about them not saying anything about you sunk my battleship. That's fair. And that's what I wanted there. Um, I'll give it a three because they're really just, they didn't have a lot to work with, so they did what they could. Yep. They also didn't use a lot of coordinates, which would have been something easy. That's so upsetting. I know. And then world building in-game versus movie, uh, I'm going to give it a one because it's not the same. (laughs) Again, (laughs) aliens. Aliens really impacted my decisions across the board here. Yeah. I mean, this is like a Cold War era game. Like, they really didn't have to reach. Right. So, it's actually a game from World War I, Kirstie. I thought you said 1960 something. Yes, but it was originally a pen and paper game with the same concept. No shit. Mm-hmm. Before it was purchased and sold by, or I don't know if it was purchased, it was sold by Milton Bradley. Yep. Um, so anyway, wow. my final score is 13. Wow. Oh yeah. Out of a possible wow. 30? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 30. Five times six. There's a scene in Clue uh, where or it's a dialogue exchange between Miss Scarlet and the butler, um, and it's apparently like a cult inside joke at this point. Like someone made a necklace of the line, but they're trying to add up how many bullets are in the gun um, based on how many bullets were shot. And they're just standing there going one plus two plus three plus one at each other back and forth for like <laughs> five exchanges <laughs> trying so to get fun. the math right. <laughs> <laughs> it really speaks to me. So, um, I can I can tell you already that I blew you out of the water. Oh yeah. Um. So for you, that was really fun. <laughs> for use of game mechanics, I gave it a five. Okay. Because that that last half hour is literally the entire gameplay of a game of Clue. I also think, like, just by the fact that they had characters that they had, like, each of the six characters and they had physical representations of each of the six weapons. Yeah. And they, like, utilized each of the game pieces in some form. I tried to be really hard on them, but that last 30 minutes, man. Yeah. How game premise matches movie premise, I gave it a four. I deducted points for um, for all the bloatware. In that first 40 minutes. Yeah. Duration of gameplay versus duration of movie, I gave it a three. It's an hour and a half long movie for a 45 minute game. And like the bulk of the movie is that last half hour. So like, eh, it's like fine. Yeah. It's like more movie than I needed, but it's fine. Use of game pieces slash characters, I gave it a three. It was really because of the extras. Like... Um, The only extra I found forgivable was the butler. Um, And that's in part because if you believe the third ending, he was Mr. Body all along. So technically he's still a character. But like having the other extras in and out of the house like was fluff and unnecessary. And also like takes away from the purity of the game. And then I just like didn't want backstory on each of the people. I I don't care about their lives. Use of game language in the movie, I gave him a four. Two points each for those lines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For my book ending lines. I deducted a point because 
I felt, I can't, there was one line in particular that I wanted to see in there that wasn't, and I can't remember it now, but it, like, didn't make a great use of game language. Like, it wasn't trying to copy the the dialogue between game players. Sure. And then for world building in game versus movie, I gave it a two, because fuck that backstory, man. Like, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I came out, because even, like, even in the movie itself, in terms of, like, establishing motive and shit, it did nothing. Like, the the movie had it there because it had no choice. But, like, the movie was really resting on, like, the slapstick humor and, like, the other little bullshit. It had nothing to do with its own premise. Right. Um, So that gave me a total of 21. Wow. High scoring. That is high score. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking what I really would have given a lot more points to Battleship for would have been if, like, mid-battle, Rihanna was like, this is just like playing Battleship when I was a kid. there is another battleship variant to be made like i don't know what the writing team needs to be to like bring that to fruition and like really do it justice but i feel i feel like the bones are not bad no <laughs> like is it like a spring break movie where they each just have boats and squirt guns i don't know oh my god <laughs> get them all in little paddle boats like zach efron if you're out there this is your movie. <laughs> oh my god. Because <laughs> you know you'd get some of that Zac Efron voiceover in there, like, sometimes in life, it feels like your battleship is sinking. <laughs> we could all stand to learn from the misses in life just as much as the hits. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you got your writing team right here, guys. <laughs> well, um, so there you have it, folks. Um, Clue is the definitive board game adaptation, and uh, Battleship is not. If you have any suggestions for other board games that you think should be made into movies, or other board game movies that you think we should watch or hate watch, you can find us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs, and you can also send us emails. (laughs) (laughs) You're right there. (laughs) Like, take away. (laughs) We do this every time. Keeper of the email. (laughs) In what room and with what? Um, Yeah, you can send those to hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. And and please do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Right now, my best friend is still Twitter business. So, um, so help me out. Uh, and until next time. 
Until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>